Well, since I um, couldn't get uh, uh, my team through to the uh, quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League, and uh, uh, if only my star striker would have finished one of two sitters uh, in the second period of extra time, if only my sporting director had actually given me some adequate defenders for cover, um, I might still have a job. But instead, I'm recording a podcast, and it's this edition of the Serie A Sit-Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is at the Highest Level. I'm Frank Crivello. Uh, glad to have you all with us again. Uh, joining me as always, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. I thought you were going to do the whole show as Eusebio de Francesco. <laughs> well, you know, he uh, he certainly uh, has time, doesn't he? Uh, he certainly but, does. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, now you know now that he's out of a job. But uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, I think I think we're more than happy with the guests that we have. Uh, this week, Richard. So, uh, um, big Calcio fan, covers uh, mainly Serie A, but uh, follows football all across Europe. He's a journalista, uh, football freelance, particularly with ESPN FC, uh, making his first appearance and earning his first cap with Serie A sit down. Benvenuto, Andrew Cesare. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. Thank you very much for having me. No, no problem. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you for taking uh, the, the time to join us. We definitely appreciate it, and I think that that's exactly where I want to jump in uh, to start this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Um, the changes that are being made uh, at the in the Eternal City. Uh, Di Francesco sacked uh, following a three-nil derby defeat to Lazio, and then uh, losing after extra time to. FC Porto in the round of 16, um, Roma moving on with Claudio Ranieri uh, for the rest of the season, and I believe there's an option on the table for him to take the team next year as well. Um, Andrew, I want to I want to start with uh, your take on this. We don't see this very often, where a manager gets sacked right after you know getting bounced from a, a European competition. Typically, we see it after the group stage. I don't think we've ever I can't remember many times where I've seen it after a knockout round. Um, the timing is a little quirky to me. I just uh, wanted to get your, I want to start by getting your impressions of uh, what happened here and, um, you know, why it didn't work under Di Francesco and then also uh, Monchi's leaving as well. Well, so first of all, my take on, I was saying Di Francesco is that, well, I was, I thought he was, I was happy with him coming to Roma when he first came and, you know, I guess last season he, it, it was quite an up and down, you know what I mean? There was a lot, there were a lot of downs, but obviously there was the memorable Barcelona game and that gives you, that gets you a lot of time. And then again, this season, he seemed to go through terrible patches before just sort of saving himself with a good result here and there. But the problem is, it's, he didn't just lose games, he badly lost games. And I mean, you know, it, when you think about what, Steady I used to be like for sacking managers. Obviously, it's calmed down a little bit now, but to lose a derby 3-0 is as often being a sackable offence in itself. To then follow that up by going out of Europe, when you're already under pressure, I really think the writing was, was on the wall. And it would he'd been a bad result away from um sort of le- sort of getting the sack for, for quite a long time, I, I, I felt. Um, and I do think that I, I felt that if they didn't have the Porto game so soon after the Lazio defeat, 
probably would have gone straight after the lap to defeat. I think he possibly even knew he was going. I, I don't know, but um, but yeah. So I, I do think it's been coming for a long time, and he just sort of. See, I remember John Solano um, saying he seems to have nine lives, and I mean that's, that's the way I see. It. He just seemed to keep sort of saving himself at the last minute. But it was inevitable that it was going to happen, I felt. And I think if there was a saving grace for him was that, and that's why I predicted that I thought Roma would actually go through because following this dar- following that derby loss, he would find some kind of result that gets Roma into the last eight and he'd still be on the job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let me follow up with this question. Um, and I'll ask this to both of you. Uh, you know, if we put out a pie chart, okay, what, how much of the pie, okay, in, in other words, how much of a percentage is this really Eusebio Di Francesco's fault? Let me play devil's advocate here. Um, Allison saved their hide a ton last season, and that was obvious. He goes for, you know, $70 million to Liverpool, um, and uh, Roma respond by bringing in Mirante uh, for cover. Uh, but then they also bring in Robin Olsen, which maybe at the time seemed like an interesting idea because he had led Sweden, uh, you know, to the last eight of the World Cup. You could probably also argue, I mean, the World Cup is a different beast than playing week after week uh, in uh, in club competition, uh, especially when you have a goalkeeper that's coming from a club like FC Copenhagen, where he it's rather he's rather respect was rather respectable there, uh, but now he comes to Roma, the, the situation's a lot bigger. I think what we learned here is that they missed Alisson big time, and it's not necessarily because maybe Robin Olsen was in over his head, but the defenders in front of them, Manolas, Fazio, have just they, these have easily been the worst seasons I've seen out of either of them. Uh, Alexander Kolarov is, you know, he's anyone with pace against him, forget about it. I mean, he couldn't even keep up with Suzo, who we criticize for being slow here on the Serie A sit-down. Uh, he, football, he American football tackled him. Uh, I'm still bitter. They didn't call a penalty on that. Um, and then the reinforcements from the part of Monchi is Marcano, uh, Santon. Uh, I mean, and then you look on the right, Karsdorp is, you know, maybe still trying to find his legs after a lengthy injury. And then Florenzi is, he's one, he's not a right back. And overall, what we're learning the hard way about uh, Alessandro Florenzi is he is an average player at best. I mean, how much of this is really Di Francesco's fault? Because I have, I'm of the opinion I feel like he's a fall guy here, and I don't I don't give him all of the blame. I put a lot of this on Monchi and how he how he uh, reinforced the squad for this season. So for me, I, I think I, I hear everything that you're saying, and I mean I would definitely, definitely, definitely attribute the majority of the blame at Monchi's um, door because I think that he he basically sold players for big fees, good players for big fees. You know, Mohamed Salah, we're talking, Alisson, you know, very, very important players. And he replaced them with um, inconsistent youngsters or far, far less talented players. I mean, Alisson to Olsen has got to be one of the biggest drop-offs in football history. It's just it's just insane. I mean, yeah, I agree. I do think Olsen is, is, is um, weighing over his head. But I just wonder whether last season... Perhaps, you know, Fazio, who was very, very well, he was good last season. I wonder whether, you know, the, the freedom of knowing that he had that safety net of a world-class goalkeeper behind him maybe, like, helped him a little bit psychologically. But when I look at Munchie, there's not one of the signings under Munchie that I really, that, I, that really stands out for me. Obviously, people will say Zaniolo. 
I'm being really cynical, I do wonder how he just kind of got a bit lucky there. I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe that is a little bit sort of cynical on my side, but he was he didn't come in as a starter. You know, he made his debut in a pretty bad defeat for Real Madrid, against Real Madrid, and he sort of stood out a little bit. And then he's, you know, he's grown and he's been, you know, he's been, he's been brilliant. He's, you know, he's obviously got, he's obviously an incredible player. But, you know, really, I think other than that, I mean, Chenji's under as, as, you know, shown flashes of brilliance, but really he hasn't sort of shone. And I don't know, it, you know, obviously the, the, you could say that that's maybe Di Francesco isn't getting the best out of these players, but when all he's got is inconsistent players, it's very difficult for him to sort of find a system. But at the same time, I don't, I can't think of many players, possibly with the exception of maybe Pellegrini, who've really improved under Di Francesco, which is what I really think the modern day manager is is judged on, really. So to answer the question, I do think Monchi takes the majority of the blame because really, I, I can't, honestly cannot think of a positive thing he brought to Roma. Whereas Di Francesco, I think he takes blame as well, not as much as Monchi. I kind of see it as the uh, almost the other way, really. And and so with me, I see it kind of like a, a 50, 30, 20 percent split, right? So I see I see Monchi as 20, being the 20 percent. Um, yeah, he's brought in some head scratching signings like Marcano and Santon, like like Frank mentioned, um, and all the stuff that you mentioned as well, uh, Andrew. Um, but he's also brought in some good youngsters too that. Yes, while well, they have been inconsistent, uh, like Clivert, uh, Chenji Zunder, uh, Zaniolo, uh, just to name a few, they have some talent there, I think. And I, th- I think that, you know, the 30% goes to, to the players for not living up to the, doing their end. You know, Jack's not getting his goals. Um, you know, Ale- Alexander Kolarov has obviously had a big drop off throughout the season. His, his age is starting to show. Uh, players aren't doing their bit. Uh, like, like, like Frank said, final last we call Fazio and Manolas. They've, this is the worst season we've seen them in a while. Um, yep. I think the, the biggest part of the blame goes to EDF, and he gets that 50% because he is a tactician out there. His lineups have been rotating constantly, right? None of these guys, none of these youngsters have had time to, to really blossom. Last year we saw at Under, uh, when he got uh, a lot of uh, play time, his, his season, he had a really great season, right? This year he doesn't get that much playing time. Cliver doesn't get that much time. Zaniolo just started recently getting a lot of play time. The rotation is there, and it's it's not. You can't have something um, concrete, or you can't build chemistry by doing that kind of rotation week in and week out. And uh, I, I'm going to give the blame to uh, to EDF just because tactically, at times he looked brilliant, like you know taking the team to the semifinals to the of Champions League last year. But then you know has head scratching results, like you guys were mentioning. You know that loss to Lazio that had to be the break breaking the back right there. If it wasn't already, he was already on an edge. But losing three nothing in a derby, I mean, you mentioned it, Andrew in in the past. You lose a derby like that, you're gone. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know it's it's been a little bit lenient this these years now. But um, I'm gonna give most of the blame to EDF, and I don't know if there's a right answer. Monchi could be the problem. It could be could be EDF. Could be the players. I mean, it's all around. Everyone gets the blame ultimately. Definitely, definitely. I just want to say, sorry, very quickly on that point of the, the I do agree that they have got young players with talent. I don't, in fact, I think they've, they've definitely got some of the most talented young players. And I have to say, you know, I hold my hands up. When they signed, I thought the beginning of the transfer window, when they were signing after signing after signing, I was like, I thought they'd had a brilliant transfer window. But obviously all these young players 
when you've got a manager who's basically under pre- who's one game away from the sack pretty much every single week, yeah. it's difficult for him to, to rely on all these young players who are inconsistent. And that's that's where I have a little bit of sympathy for him. Sure, because sure. And that, so that, but you know, I think that if he was told, look, you've got you're guaranteed to stay in the job for another two years, then it's great to have all these young players because you can develop them. But when he knows he's under pressure, it's, it's harder to have so many young players you want. You know, you want Daniel De Rossi from five years ago or whatever. You want players that you can just rely on week in, week out. I don't think he had that. Yeah, I mean, and is it, um, you know, and I, and I get the, I, I agree. I get the point about the players. I get that, okay, yeah, your job's on the line. You want to go with the most experienced possible, and that's what he tended to do. I mean, he he brought Perotti back from the dead for this Champions League tie, but and Perotti played really well, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and he went with a back three. I mean, he made a lot of he took he took on a lot of gambles. So it was almost as if that Porto game he was he was managing for his job. I mean, one thing to lose to your city rival, uh, but at the same time you also lost to a team that prior to that hadn't beaten anybody all season with a pulse. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're we're looking at them now, and uh, in a game where they controlled the majority of the match here against Fiorentina, it's still only 1-1 going into the 90th minute. Um, so that just goes to show you, you know, how much Roma have maybe dipped, you know, but, and I get, Richard, I can get your point that he's, he's the tactician. He's got to pick the team. You and I have talked about why doesn't Mirante, at some point you've got to pull the plug on Olsen and just make Mirante your regular starter and goal. I mean, he got a clean sheet, albeit against Kievo, follow that up by winning the first leg against Porto. Uh, you go right back to Robin Olsen. I don't know if there's this pressure that, hey, this is the guy we spent the money on. We've got to play him. Um, you know, I'm from the old school. I said, you know, I don't care how much money I, you know, my sporting director spent on you. If you're not performing, you're not playing. But yeah. it's just, uh, you know, if, if that mentality might have been taken, maybe things are a little bit different. And Di Francesco still has a job. I mean, um, but Andrew, Claudio Ranieri now steps in and he was last seen taking over a Fulham team where his responsibility was to try to drag them out of relegation with a defense that hard to believe there's defenses out there that are worse than Roma's, but Fulham's is awful in the Premier League. And um, all of a sudden we're expected to believe that Ranieri is going to come in and be the shot in the arm to this team for their Champions League hopes. So, I mean, I am as shocked as you are about Ranieri. I really, really, I don't, why the only thing I can the only sort of positive spin you can think of it is the fact that maybe Roma needed a bit of a kind of a happy someone who knows the club kind of shot in the arm that way rather than someone who's going to get it right tactically on the pitch. You know he's he's Roman. It's obviously a proud um, club in that sense that it, you know it respects his heritage and obviously you know having a Roman manager might sort of help. But I, I really I can't see especially when you think that. You know, Roma are in a difficult situation now because I, I can, I'm really struggling to see them finishing the top four. And I, I, I think that under Ranieri, I, I just don't see how he's going to do that. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't see him being the difference. I, I don't know. I thought maybe maybe now would have been a, a good chance to give some, just, I don't know, just go a different sort of route. You know, maybe I think now the modern game, you need freshness. You need new ideas. You don't need the same... And I think the fact that he's got the option of a of a, an extra twelve months would worry me if I was a Roma fan because I think that there could be 
there's a potential for some interesting managers being available this summer. Obviously, Sadri being the obvious the obvious potential candidate. And I think you need you know Roma would need to jump at that that opportunity. And I'm sorry, I just don't really see the the, the, the positive in Ranieri. I just I think he was just an easy option. He was available. It's just I don't know. I just I, th- I think it does smack a little bit of just a sort of a statement change on the back of a a really bad week. That's that's how I see it. I, I I I like that comment, Richard. Is this a holy shit? We can't win anything now. We're in trouble. Let's sack this guy. Let's bring in Ranieri and hope for a miracle. Does it does it speak like a does this speak of a panic move on the part of uh, on the part of Roma's management? Yeah, it does a bit, doesn't it? It it seems like it's like holy shit. We're not going to make the Champions League next year. We need to get do something now to before we lose it all together. Um, you know, I can see where Ranieri could possibly help them out, but I don't think it's the right decision. We've we've been hearing all year how, you know, the Romans are expecting the next manager to be a Conti or a Sari or somebody of that elk, right? And no disrespect to Ranieri. I mean, what he's done in his career, what he did at Leicester, um, it's it's amazing. But he's kind of lost a step to it, or at least it seems that way with Fulham, right? Uh, the team really wasn't any that attractive playing football. They were, they were terrible going forward and defending. How much is that is Ranieri's fault? How much is that is the players' fault? You know, it's, it's, you know, we'll find out here very soon with Roma, but it does seem a little, little bit of a panic move. And, um, maybe he will instill some inject, inject some life into them right away off the bat. Like you said, he is very familiar with the club. Um, he's a Roman. He played there. So, it could happen, right? He, he he's known for bringing players together, and and they do need that at this moment. But it does seem very much so like a panic move. Yeah, I I, I just don't see how he makes Roma better here in their uh, last twelve games of this season. I just don't. Um, but you know, stranger things have happened. Um, Andrew, does this mean since uh, I mean he took the uh, the Leicester boys to to learn how to make pizza? So if he gets clean sheets out of Roma, which Roma doesn't know how to do, does yeah. he take them to England to teach them how to make meat pies? Yeah, or English breakfast or English tea, I don't know. I think it would be, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it would. Yeah, I mean, if you can get a clean sheet out of Roma, that would be uh, impressive. But I think you know what? When you look, you know, you look back, and I think that like I don't think you should judge if a manager has a bad spell at a club. I always think that like you try to, especially like you try to not judge it. You know, for a classic example is Antonio Conte when he got the Juventus job. He was not really qualified if you look at his managerial career. Yet we all saw how that went. But Ranieri is. An age where like he he he's not going to change, and I don't think he's going to learn much because he's had so many of these bad experiences, you know. And don't get me wrong, the Leicester situation was miraculous, but they played the same team pretty much every week. With with Roma, he needs a quick he need something he couldn't do at Fulham was figure out his team, and he needs to do that straight away at Roma because the pressure's on. Is the, the you know Roma needs to be start winning, you know Roma needs to win. A lot of games is now at the end of the season, and I don't know. I'm, I'm not really confident that he can do that. Hmm. Let's shift this to Di Francesco and where he goes next, because he, I, I'm of the opinion he, he, he did not turn into a crap manager in his time at Roma. Uh, I think that, you know, he worked with the hand he dealt. He made some mistakes. He's going to learn from it. He has some very positive experiences. I mean, you don't all of a sudden stink after reversing a a 4-1 first leg against Barcelona and coming back and beating them. And then, you know, coming within a goal uh, or so 
uh, of overturning Liverpool to get to a Champions League final. You're all of a sudden, you're not a bad manager a season later just because of that. And when you consider what he did at Sassuolo prior to that, leading Sassuolo of all teams to the Europa League, he is going to find work really quick. Um, let's all have a hot take here. Uh, Andrew, I'm curious to see where you think uh, Eusebio Di Francesco lands next. To be honest, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think I don't think um, Di Francesco's reputation is particularly harmed by this because I think a lot of people. Like, I'm not saying he, he shouldn't have gone because I, I do I do think that the, 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 the club everything needed something big you know big changes needed to be made um, you know especially with the situation they were in like with the derby and everything. But I still think that his reputation isn't that damaged, um, and I. I I do. Th- I think that the likelihood is if something like the Fiorentina job, which I've got a slight inkling might become available this 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 summer, because I feel as though like Pioli is is underachieving, but that's obviously a separate. And I think that's the kind of job I could potentially see him going to. Or so if something like the Sampdoria job were to become available, you know, these I see him going. I see him. He would be like the first name on the sort of list for these clubs if if they were looking for a manager. Um, so yeah, so I, that's that's my that's my thing. I really don't think his reputation has been damaged that much. I think he's still in a strong position to get a uh, a, a good job in Italy. I was just I was you're reading my mind. I was going to say Sampdoria uh, because I'm I'm of the opinion that uh, you know, and we'll talk about this later when we talk about their game. But I'm of the opinion that Giampaolo's system has been found out. Um, mainly when they travel, uh, you know, but it got found out again here against Atalanta, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I see Sampdoria as an ideal place where, okay, they're always knocking on the door of making it to Europe. We need a guy that knows how to take a team like this to Europe. And it feels to me like um, this is the kind of place that Di Francesco can easily fit into. Um, Fiorentina, for me, I think Pioli is going to get a little bit more of a rope. Um even though they didn't qualify. I mean, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that, you know, it's still only been a year since their captain passed away. And that's a lot for a team to have to try to recover from. And he's got a lot of young talent that he's working with. It'll just be interesting to see how much of that talent still stays in Tuscany. Um, But, you know, that's just where my opinion is. I see Di Francesco being a wonderful fit at a place like Sampdoria. I don't hate the Fiorentina idea. Um, only I just think Pioli's going to get a little bit longer, uh, you know, to work. Richard, uh, how do you see this? Where where do you uh, see Di Francesco landing next? Great minds think alike. So the first two teams that obviously jumped out of my mind, well, three. I'll give you the first two because you guys already mentioned it. Uh, Sampdoria and Fiorentina, both of those jumped to my mind because, you know, if those managers do not last, which both could be very well gone because they're both underachieving in our opinion, then they're, they, they could probably fit, he could probably fit in right there, right? Another team I'm thinking of who, in my opinion, is underachieving tremendously is Udinese. I would love to see how EDF handles the youngsters at Udinese. They got a good young squad. They just need time to develop and, you know, the pressure is not as much on. As long as he can keep him way out of relegation, the relegation fight, I think he'll have time to build his team like he did with Sassuolo. And then you could eventually see them moving up into the Europa League uh, contention. Some pieces are there. I mean, DePaul is having a great season if he stays. You know, Lasagna, uh, Pusetto is really starting to show some form here in the recent weeks. Musso's a very good goalkeeper, got an Argentina call up. So, uh, I don't hate that at all either for him as being a landing spot. So, Di Francesco, yeah. I mean, moral of the story here, Di Francesco is going to be fine. Um, he's going to land somewhere else. He might even exceed expectations, uh, compared to what he achieved at, at, at Roma. 
Um, and it might be a comfortable, uh, it might be a comfortable situation for him regardless of, of, uh, of where he ends up. So, um, Andrew, last question on Roma and then we'll move on to the next topic. Andrew. Yep. Um, where do they finish? You know, I think, I think, I think fifth, I think I'll have to go fifth. I just, I don't see the top four changing, unfortunately. Um, I just, I think, yeah, I, I think in fifth and that is at best because I, I just think that I can't see Roma basically getting more points than the teams around them. I just can't see it. Richard, how about you? Roman fans, turn your hand, turn your, turn, turn away from this because I think the, the way that Atalanta and Torino are playing right now, I think they, they're going to do enough to get Roma out of Europe in, in total. Not just Champions League, but also Europa League. I think those mm. two squads are strong enough at the moment and with, you know, however many games to go that they can unseat them from the European spots. And I think that, yeah, I just want to, just on that, I just think Roma, what, what, I, what I do think Roma will do is Roma will like, I think they'll beat Empoli tomorrow, and I think that's the kind of games that Ranieri will sort of win. I just think they'll be, they'll maybe just get the odd point here and there, whereas Atalanta will and Torino will just get a stupid defeat against, um, you know, Cagliari or or whoever. I just think they'll, they'll drop points when you when they're on a good run. Whereas I think Roma will just get, they'll beat the teams that they expected to sort of beat the the really lower teams under Ranieri, but they won't they won't get they won't do enough. That's that's. That's the that's the way I see the difference there. But I agree that the, the Atalanta and Torino are, are better, better, much got much better momentum. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys on that. I think to, I, I think Roma are going to be in the Europa League next season. It does it's irrelevant whether they finish fifth or sixth to me, but I think that that's where they're going to end up. Um, and I agree, Torino and Atalanta. We'll talk about these teams later on because Torino has a certain someone starting to come into form uh, that's making them even more dangerous than they already were. Uh, so, uh, but we'll talk about them shortly. But uh, your guys' takes on Roma and the the state of the Giallo Rossi go to at Seria sit down on on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Richard is going to break down quickly break down Juve Udinese, and we're going to talk about their Champions League prospects coming up against Atlético Madrid. All right, so we have the champions hosting. Another black and white team, Udinese, at the Alliance Stadium. Uh, to go quickly through the lineups, because the lineups were slightly different in this one, especially for Juventus. In goal, you had Wojciech Czesny. Then in defense, you had Martin Casadas, Daniele Rugani, Andrea Barzali, Leonardo Spinazzola. In the midfield, you had Emery Chan, Rodrigo Bentacur, Plasma Tuidi. And up top, you had Federico Benedeschi, Alexandro, and all led by Moise Keane. The youngster gets the start in this one, Frank. How surprised are you that he gets a start, or are you not surprised considering the big matchup coming up just around the corner? Not at all. I mean, we knew going in that that Allegri was going to rotate this team. Um, you know, I I actually thought I was going to get a call uh, to play with Juventus on on Friday, and uh, I was I was disappointed to have my team total my name totally removed from the my my son who's a Juve fan uh, would have been happy. Hey, that's Daddy on TV. But no, I think they um, listen to our podcast, so maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, no, not terribly surprised by this team at all. Um, you know, sad for Andrea Barzali who made the comeback to be able to get into this game and have to leave early. That was really the, you know, uh, the unfortunate part of this. But uh, but no, this 
But this team selection didn't surprise me. Andrew, was there anyone that did play in this game that you were surprised that started as opposed to you know get some time to rest before the big game? Um, no, I mean I, I agree. I, I felt it's, I thought it was going to be um, a few changes, and I think he did. I think it was a smart thing to do. I think there was no chance they were going to uh, to sort of throw this game. I mean, I, I, maybe maybe I felt um, you know Sandro, but no Matuidi. I don't know, but no in general, I think. You know, you can't just play reserves. You have to play the odd player who's going to play in both games. Um, but no, I thought it was a good, I thought it was a good test because I think that this season Juventus, you know, rotated. I remember Atalanta away, and they needed Ronaldo to come on, on and get the equaliser. Um, so I thought it was good. I think it's quite a good um, psychological boost to, to rotate and still come out such comprehensive, not just com- comprehensive winners, but you know, the young that young players um, perform on the day as well. Absolutely, and let's really quickly go through the Udinese lineup uh, in goal. Juan Musso, Frank's already been talking about him. Uh, in defense, they had Sebastian De Mayo, William Ekong, Bram Neutink, Hitted to Alvest, and in the midfield you had Jan Streiger Larsen, Benjamin Wilmot, Seko Fofana, Marvin Zehalar, and Ignacio Pusato, all led by Rodrigo De Pau. So this is a is a pretty decent lineup for Udinese, but you know it was curious to see how you know Juventus would be playing, considering how poor form they've had. As of late, well, this game uh, would turn into the Moise Keane show. He would score a goal in the 11th minute, a, one of the goals of the week candidate, in my opinion. Wonderful cross in by Alexandro. Uh, he was in the right place at the right time, like a poacher, finished it off. Uh, wonderful goal for, for Juventus there. He follows that up in the 39th minute, gets a second goal. Um, as, just before this goal, as Frank mentioned, uh, Andrea Barzali would go out with an injury. Uh, he would be substituted by Leonardo Banucci. Uh, but yes, Keane scored his second goal of the game in the 39th minute. Juve go up 2-0 into halftime. Uh, in the 67th minute, Juventus get a, a penalty. Surprise, surprise. Now, I'm a little upset about the decision about who took the penalty in this one, guys. Um, Moise Keane is on a hat trick. He's a youngster. By the way, this kid looks phenomenal. He looks like, he looks like, uh, physically, he looks like he's ready for, ready for Serie A. He's still young. He still has some stuff to learn, but man, he looks, uh, he has the body for it. Anyway. Uh, Emery Chan is the one who stepped up to take the penalty in the goal. Um, I want, I would have wanted Moise Keane to get it. How do you guys feel about Keane not getting the opportunity for the hat trick? Andrew, I'm going to start with you. Um, first of all, I, I agree that I think Moise Keane really does love the business, and I think he's a player that we'll be talking about in years to come. Um, but but like on the penalty thing, generally, I'm, I'm never, a, I'm not, I'm, you know, you have a hierarchy. You, whoever the penalty taker is, right. takes the penalty, but. Given that you know this was a big day and he scored two, and it's not Emre Chan is not the penalty taker. Cristiano Ronaldo is the penalty taker. Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't playing, so then it's kind of open season, so anyone can take the penalty. So that's where I, I agree with you that like I think may as well give it unless Moise Keane didn't want it, in which case fair enough. But I think you just give him the opportunity. It's not like Emre Chan is you know a penalty specialist or you know I just think Moise Keane should have just, just taken it. Yeah. Yes, but when managers are preparing matches, they're they're preparing for this is part of the process, and managers will prepare a player to take a penalty should that need arise. So, and I think we we all know. I mean, you can just watch first team Juventus on Netflix. You can watch and see how detail oriented Max Allegri is. So clearly, the idea that it's Emery Chan taking the penalty that's who he went in with, saying, "Hey, if there's a penalty, this guy's taking it." Um, I mean, we've got we've 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 watched countless amounts of times where 
you know, okay, we have a designated penalty kick taker, but then somebody also wants to walk up and say, hey, can I have the ball? I want to take the penalty. I really want it, you know, that sort of thing. And then he takes it. He takes the ball away from the – and when he takes it, every single time he misses. Either a goalkeeper saves, sails over the – whatever. Okay, so maybe if, if Emery Chan is designated to take this penalty, okay, and if that's what it was, because we, we don't know what went on in the training session uh, in, in preparation for this game. Um, but if that was the case and said, okay, Chan's our penalty taker if one comes up, would have been nice to maybe say, look, at, have Chan give uh, uh, Kane a look and say, hey, do you want this? Get your hat trick. Um, but uh, but this is also Juventus, and in a lot of their games and the way they go about things, it's business as usual. So if, if, if Chan was chosen as the penalty taker, then he's taking the penalty. And I have to believe um, – you know, like I said, considering how detail-oriented Allegri is, this is what they went in with. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, um, I just, I want, I just, I wonder whether you know, like Allegri's kind of really been keen to stress that the season isn't a failure if they go out uh, this week against the Atletico. I mean, I, I personally, I would disagree with that statement, but you know, and I just think that would kind of, you know, to just let Moise Keane and kind of just maybe like. Take the take the sort of pressure off, you know, like change the focus a little bit, um, sort of make it show as if they really are like quite relaxed about the situation. I'm, I'm not sure. I just think that you know, I, I think it kind of adds to the to the tension that like to the to the sort of like notion that Juventus are really feeling the pressure ahead of um, this. I know it's only a minor thing, but I just think that like it, it was an opportunity there to just kind of make you know to kind of make it seem as if Juventus are quite relaxed ahead of what is obviously a well, a season-defining game. Let's let's be honest. And it's a, sure it's an it's a talking point for sure because, like we said, they're going to see both sides of the coin, right? Some people say yes, you should have taken. Other people said no. They got a game plan going, so I can see both sides of it, and it's it's definitely going to be a water cooler talk for sure. But regardless, Juventus go up three nothing, and that that lead didn't that that three nothing scoreline did not stay for very long. Just four minutes later, later, Blasma Tuidi with another goal of the week candidate, in my opinion, uh, scores a goal, gives Juventus a four nothing lead. Uh, they would, they would blow the, the shutout as Kevin Lasagna scored in the 85th minute. Uh, guys, I do want to talk, go back to Moise Keane and not so much about the penalty, not the, the opportunity there, but just this kid in general. Frank, he is a, a big kid physically. He's got the speed. He's obviously got the goal scoring touch. This is going to be a special player for the, not only Juventus, but the Italian national team going forward. I want Mancini to call him up because there's nothing to lose at this point because the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the Italian strikers, uh, for the national team, they stink. Immobile is terrible. Um, okay. Maybe Belotti can get a shot now that he's starting to show some form here, but. After that, it's, I'd like to see this kid in, in that setup and see what happens. You know, I mean, what else? I mean, you're, you're coming up on some friendlies. Um, what else are you going to lose? You know, let's see how he does in an environment where he's got, you know, where he's flanked by guys like Chiesa and Insigne, and he's got a midfield behind him uh, with guys like Jorginho and Barella and Berati, uh, you know, and how he does in that type of environment. Because you got those five guys. You need a striker that just gets in position to put the ball in the back of the net. That should really be his chief role and his only role. And somehow Immobile keeps keeps seeming to screw that up when he's given every when he's given the opportunity. So that's where I fall on it with Keane. And I'm not just and, and some of this is just you know quick reaction because he scored a brace. And then the other the other thing is I want to temper my expectations because it is Udinese they just beat. Um, but a new Udinese team that was winning a couple games and doing all right. 
Um, but <laughs> Mancini has nothing to lose calling this guy up, and I'd like to see it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that's such an exciting front line. You know, if you throw in Bernard Deschi as well, like I think it's it's just such a potent that has the potential to be a really explosive, exciting front line. I think, you know, yeah, I I take the idea that it's only Udinese, but you know, he, he still scored two. You know, scored quite a first quite early, then he scored the second. You know, it's, it, it's the, the timing of the goals as well were quite quite clinical. Like you know, in terms of that effectively sealed the game, gets gets the crowd off to a good start and then just before half time completely deflates with Dinesi. Like he he you know, he, he was he was very clinical at very important points and he just looks comfortable at this level. Like I really, really do. I mean unfortunately, you know, Juventus have put all their eggs into this season and it's it's difficult for the you know, the whole point is they they brought back these experienced players, Ronaldo, Bonucci, uh so they're not going to give him the opportunities he sort of needs. But but perhaps next season, you know, who knows? And I, but I really think that the, the, for Moise, Moise Keane next season has to be playing top flight football. If that isn't, if Juventus cannot give it, then he needs to go somewhere else because I think he's ready. Like I do, I think he's he looks a genuinely, genuinely a player who's ready. You know, like Zaniolo or someone. You know, I mean, I think that's what I think. Yeah. You know, Frank, I want to you know touch base on Udinese real quick. You know, Juventus keep doing Juventus things. They win. They win big. Uh, it's not often that they score four goals in the game this season. Uh, Allegri likes to keep it tight. Um, Udinese, with this loss, uh, the fact that they lost big, uh, is this something they can just brush off? Because they're they're sitting just four points above relegation, but Bologna, who is charging hard, trying to get out of the zone, do they have to look at this game and say, hey, just, it's just it's Juventus, we were going to lose anyway? Or is there some worrying signs they're losing how big they lost? You know, if they kept it close, it would been different as opposed to the way they lost this game. I think they take their medicine and move on. Unfortunately, when they take their medicine and move on, they're going to the San Paolo and playing Napoli next. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but then they host Gen- then they host Genoa. I mean, they're they're going to have to take some lumps here in the next few weeks because it's at Napoli here, and then April second they travel to Milan. Um, they host Genoa. They could get something out of that. They host Empoli, which is a critical game, obviously for them. Um, you know, when, who knows what kind of shape Roma is in, uh, by the time they travel to, uh, to the Olimpico to play them. Um, so I don't know if this is a, a, I think there's just too much quality in the Sudanese team to go down. You know, I look at Spall and I look at Empoli, I, I look at them as more prime candidates that if Bologna is going to nick one of them, that the, one of those two are going to be the teams. I, I think Udinese have just enough quality to get out of get out of this, but in the short term, they're going to take a beating on the way, uh, and it's whether or not they can get up and climb out of it. And I think they've got enough quality to do it. Andrew, do you feel the same way there that Udinese has enough to stay out of the relegation zone and uh, and and stay up next year, or do you think there's some worrying times ahead? Well, I mean, I definitely think that um, they've got some work to do to be safe. I think. I think we can, I mean, I, I assume, you know, two teams look to be down, really. I think you can't, I can't personally see, certainly not Kievo. I think we can agree that Kievo, uh, you know, there's no, there's no, no, no getting out of this. Frosinone, I, I can't see it. And then you, I think you're really looking at, but of Cagliari downwards, really, in general, just about safe. So I think all the teams from Cagliari to Bologna have got, um, a lot of work to do and any of those teams, I, I just have a sneaker that I just think it will be Empoli at the end of the day because I think that they're the team who will struggle the, the most. But I, 
I definitely think that. I think Udinese need to, I've got enough to stay up, but I certainly think they've still got a lot of work to do. Right, right. Um, well, let's get let's get back now to the other black and white team, Juventus, and let's look ahead to the the big game that everyone's going to be talking about, and especially uh, if the results don't go the way Juventus wanted to, and that is the Champions League game against Atletico Madrid. Uh, this game is going to be taking place on Tuesday. Juventus is going to host, obviously, as they were on the road the previous game. They're down two nothing in this leg. You know, a lot of te- you know, a lot of times if Juventus are down two nothing, you would say, okay, it's no big thing for them to come back. They should be able to win, especially being at home. But this is a team that is very similar to the way they play. Very stout defensively, very opportunistic going forward. So, gentlemen, my question to you is. Do Juventus have what it takes to overcome this two nothing deficit and and win or at least get it to extra time? Frank, I, this is going to be a tall task. We know how strong that defense is for Atletico. They shut them out in the first leg. Can can Juve do it and 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 save their season? This has been a crazy Champions League knockout stage so far because I think that uh, you know. People are writing scripts after the first leg. They wrote the script that, okay, Real Madrid went to Ajax and got in a way win. They're going to go and just close this out at the Bernabeu. And what happened? They got smacked. Um, we had a suggestion that Roma was not going to be able to hang on at Porto, and they didn't. Um, you know, we also thought that Manchester United was dead in the water after losing 2-0 at Old Trafford to PSG. And then turning, Juventus can draw on these things because the prevailing opinion is that the way Atletico Madrid play and the way that they're set up, Juventus is not turning this around. Okay, so they have that going for them. Um, they have enough attacking quality, um, you know, to reverse this. The question is, will they reverse it? I have a, I still have a hard time believing that they will. Um, you know, when you look at uh, when. When you look at uh, how they're set up now, Cancelo will probably play all 90 minutes of this game, 120 if it gets to that. It comes down to, you know, will how will Juve approach this game? Because you know they're not going to be an all-out attack, try to boss possession, etc. Okay, that's that doesn't seem to be what's in Allegri's tactics and in his DNA. Um, you know, but. Can Ronaldo make the most of his chances? And can he get more chances than he got in Madrid? I mean, I think that what Simeone outmanaged Allegri in the first leg. And he's going to come up with a game plan that's going to be resist Juventus more than, um, you know, trying to have any kind of superiority of uh, possession or superiority of chances. It's, it's going to be 90 minutes. It's going to be grueling. It's going to be physical. And they're going to put, they're going to put them under a lot of pressure, uh, you know, to perform in that vein. So, I'm getting long-winded here. I I still doubt it, um, and it's just how Simeone's teams operate. And and right now, looking at the history of Allegri versus Simeone in cup competitions like this, I'm going with Simeone. I mean, it just it's it's it, it's a tough pill to swallow. I think Juve's going to win this game two to one, which means Atletico is going to go through on aggregate. That's a that's a that's a that's a hot take, and it's a good take, uh, Andrew. I mean, he's he's not wrong in saying that. Everyone thought these first legs that the, that the game's already over, right? That two nothing down or whatever scoreline was in the first first legs. Almost all those legs have been turned around in the second half, and it's very possible Juventus could do it. But all the all those teams that came back and won the second legs, none of them played a defense like Atletico Madrid. So, what about you? Do you think it's Atletico's going to keep it, keep the lead, and keep and move on, or do you think 
Juve pulls something out and it's a Ronaldo masterclass, Allegri masterclass, and they move on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you see, when you look at those comebacks from last week, they were obviously incredible, but there were mitigating factors. I mean, Real Madrid are a pale shadow of what they were last season. PSG are very weak mentally, um, and they're obviously quite naive. Roma, you know, they only took a narrow win, a narrow lead to Porto anyway. So it's, it's slightly different because I think that Juventus are trying to overturn a lead against the, the one team in Europe you do not want to be trying to turn a lead again, over against. Um, and I think that I, I look at the um, the Tottenham game last season and I think that like when Juventus were 2-0 up and Tottenham came back to draw 2-2, Juventus were just completely like against the ropes for the rest of that game. And I just felt that like Tottenham had that chance, but he gave Juventus a second chance by not winning that match. And I think that's what Juventus, you, you don't give Juventus a second chance because Juventus will take that second chance. And I think Atletico may have just done what Tottenham didn't with that second goal. Because I think that second goal is a killer because if you have to score one against Atletico with the players that Juventus have, that's always possible. But if Juventus, if Atletico concede one, Unless they concede very early, if, if Atletico to concede one, then they have a, another game plan sh- surely in place to prevent them from conceding another. And it's not just their defence. I mean, we are talking about one of the best strikers in the world in Antoine Griezmann that you also have to keep quiet. You also have to, you know, shut him out. And I don't particularly trust, um, after, especially after the first leg, the Juventus defence and specifically Bonucci to sort of do that. So I really sort of struggle. But, Having said all of that, I do think that despite him having a very, very poor game in the first leg, I think Allegri is the most creative manager or one of the most creative managers out there at finding these solutions for these games. Obviously, the Real Madrid game last season, a classic example of that. Or the fact that he turned the Tottenham game around by bringing on Asamoah and Lichtsteiner, which are not two players that you would think of to sort of change a game. So I do think he has the... He can do it, but obviously, given how poor he was in the first leg in terms of his substitutions and his his tactics in general, I'm, I'm not confident he will do. It's you know, Frank said it after the first leg. The big players for Juventus didn't show up. They have to show up in this game. Ronaldo yeah. needs to show up. Dybala. I mean, everyone needs to show up if they have to have a chance. And kind of like what you were saying, Andrew, they need to score early. I think if they yeah, can score early, put them on the ropes. Get the sure. I know Simeone is going to have a game plan B for if they get scored early, but at least put them on the ropes. Make it worrisome for them. And then who knows? Whoever gets that second goal, whether it's Atleti or Juventus, that could change the game back or forth. Juve need to score early. And Ronaldo needs to step up big. And him and Dybala, they need to have some of the best games of, of, of the season for them if they're going to have a chance. And I agree with you. Allegri is the one manager you, you think could come out of this. Um, I really want to be the homer and pick Serie A team and pick Juventus, but... Uh, I just, I just don't see it. I, I feel like the scoreline, kind of like what Frank was saying, two to one, uh, a win for Juventus, but lose on on away goals is going to be the is going to be the the way it's going to pan out. Unfortunately, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I really hope Juventus' top players show up and it's some masterclass and they win three nothing or something. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's safe to say we all think. I mean, Andrew, are you, are you saying that you think Juventus is going to lose then? I'm not saying. I'm not sure if they're going to lose. I mean. Obviously, I guess it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar because Juventus won the group. But if you just, on paper, Juventus' last um, four, uh, yeah, four Champions League games, they've lost three of them. Yeah. 
So it's it's it's, on, it's been a very strange tournament for them, really, because I mean, obviously. Manchester United went to Valencia in the last game and rested players, assuming Juventus would beat Young Boys. And had exactly. they not, exactly, they could have won the group. And then Juventus finished second, and then, but obviously finishing first and getting Atletico is, is, is may as well have finished second, I guess. But um, so it's been a very str- so you know it, it's it's just it's, it's it's really difficult to sort of pinpoint. But I guess yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately I I agree that I think Juventus might might win on the night. 2-1, possibly 3-1 or some, something like that. But I, I don't think they'll do... I think Atletico will do what they need to do to go through. Because I think this is perfect. Absolutely perfectly set up for them. There you have it. I think it's a unanimous decision. I think uh, Juve will, will put up a good fight. But uh, they will come up just short at the end. And we'll see. We're hoping the big boys show up and they prove us wrong. Really do. But uh, it'll be a tough test. I'd like them to. I'd like them to do it. Yeah, again, as yeah. I said, I'd like to see them in there. I'd like to see some Serie A representative in the quarterfinals. Yeah, for the sake of Serie A, I agree. I mean, to, I mean, it's just criminal considering the quality of Serie A and how far they've come here over the last few years, in terms of the entertainment value, in terms of what they have to offer, uh, and to not have a Serie A team in the last eight would be just sad. <laughs> There's just no yeah. way around it. So that's all. So. All right, that was our recap on Juventus and uh, their Champions League prospects coming up against Atleti. Uh, let's move on to the contenders. No, no, you're not living in a parallel universe. There aren't contenders for the Serie A title. Uh, we're talking about contenders. We mean contenders for uh, the remaining European places. Uh, two Champions League places up for grabs, as well as all of the uh, Europa League spots up for grabs as uh, – as we get here through the business end of the 2018-2019 Serie A season, and five matches uh, impacted those games. Uh, AC Milan was the first to go of the teams in contention uh, on Saturday night at the Bentegori. Uh They win 2-1 at Chievo. Uh, Lucas Biglia with the goal of the week. Uh, don't waste your time uh, debating anybody else. That free kick was magic. Um, not at the level of Luis Muriel's or Bruno Alves's, but uh, certainly wonderful and good to see him back. Put Milan ahead by a goal to nil, uh, but um, enough of a lap. I said it on Twitter. You lapse in concentration, even against Kievo, you're going to get punished. And Hetemai uh, did uh, provide the equalizer. Um, it was uh, 1-1 going into halftime. I can't believe I just said equalizer. Damn it. I promised I'd never say Richard, can you edit that? No, you're not. You're not. You're, you're not going to live this that, one down in infamy. Damn it! All right. Well, <laughs> I need I need Piontek to save me, like he saved Milan, because uh, he came through and uh, put Milan in front, two goals to one. Uh, after the ball kind of scrambled around in the penalty area, Castellejo found him, uh, and uh, Piontek does it again. So Milan win two one. Um, Inter hosting Spal. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm just calling it Spall. I'm just calling Spall the team that they're the team with the hack tactics that are setting Calcio back. That are trying to set Calcio back 30 years. Um, but they uh, traveled to the San Siro. They took on Inter. Uh, a uh, goal uh, that was disallowed in the first half. Lautaro Martinez thought he had the opener in the first half. VAR review showed that he handled the ball, bringing it down. Um, so the goal was disallowed. They go in nil nil at the break. Uh, that was a great goal as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I agree. I think that um, it was really ticky tack for me. Um, 
you know, and it's just it's it's VAR justifying their overinflated budget and needing to be used. That's the way I've been looking at. It, so <laughs> that's how I see it as well. Yeah. So uh, Politano with a goal of the week candidate though, uh, and a legit one, giving Inter the one uh, nil lead, followed up by uh, Roberto Gallerini. Uh, giving Inter the 2-0 win. This does come at a cost for the Nerazzurri heading into the derby. Marcelo Brozovic uh, left in the first half, and uh, uh, João Miranda, I believe, broke his nose and had to leave the game as well. Um, so uh, an Inter win, yet it comes at a cost. Um, uh, moving on, Sampdoria 1, Atalanta 2, uh, Duban Zapata from Josip Ilicic. Well, where have we heard that before? Um, Fabio Quagliarella on a penalty to equalize things, and then Robin Ozens with a goal of the week candidate in the 77th minute just for the narrow angle that he scored at. Uh, Frozenone 1, Torino 2, uh, Paganini opened the scoring. We thought we'd have a shock on the cards, um, but then uh, the rooster showed up. Uh, and showed up big time scoring in the 56th minute and then a goal of the week candidate in the 77th to put it away and give them the win. And uh, just finished, uh, oh, about 45 minutes ago, Fiorentina won, Lazio won. It was Immobile opening the scoring with a goal of the week candidate. Luis Muriel equalizing pretty much out of nothing, uh, you know, to give Fiorentina a point and to uh, uh, maybe – say Lazio just dropped two points here. Uh, comes at a bit of a cost here. Well, not a bit of a cost, a big cost for Fiorentina. Uh, Federico Chiesa did leave this game injured. So uh, these are the five games that um, involve all of the teams that are contending. Um, Andrew, let's start with the Milan teams. Um, these last couple of weeks for Milan, and I think Milan, we, we I have, I, I follow more Milan Twitter than I should. Um and I, <laughs> I need to scale back who I follow on that because I, you know, or, or maybe just increase because I, I'm not sure if I'm entertained or I'm annoyed. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. But isn't this the sign of a team that's growing up? Isn't this a sign of a, a you know, a good team that they're not at their best against an inferior opponent, but still figures out how to get three points? Isn't that what we does? Don't we value that? Shouldn't shouldn't we value that as much as as we value the? you know, the dominating 5-0 wins? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, I think there's a strong argument, which I wouldn't necessarily disagree with, that since Milan signed uh, Piontek, they've been the best team in Serie A. I just think that, that I, I think, with the exception of possibly Luis Muriel, I can't think of a signing who has a bigger impact on a team. I just think it's completely transformed them. And they've, I mean... It, they, they've won some incredible, obviously, some big games recently. But, um, yeah, this one of the weekend, I mean, he was just there in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, he, he, I, I like the fact that he thought play was stopped, yet still had time to reorganise himself and get in a position to score um, and, an important goal. And, obviously, um, the BDF free kick was, in, was incredible. But you said that there are two uh, Champions League places available. And whilst I can't see Napoli dropping out of the Champions League places... Their form recently, I, I don't think it's absolutely impossible to think of Milan even finishing second. Now, I, I know that I'm talking, you know, momentum, but Milan's form is just incredible. Like they are just really rampant at the moment. I just can't see them. I just can't see them losing. You know, and I think they go into the derby in absolutely perfect, perfect shape. Yeah, Andrew, you, you, you we, we want to have you back on this podcast again. You don't have to give Richard and I those. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to give us that kind of hope. <laughs> We're still six points behind Napoli. All you know, all things considered. 
<laughs> I, I, yeah, but I mean, Napoli's form. I mean, if you, if you look at it, I mean, what, two wins in seven now? Um, there's about, what, three nil-nil draws in that run? Like, I think they've, they've really put their eggs in the Europa League basket. And whilst, that, you know, I think they've, they've got, you know, they've got to drop 13 points to, you know, Roma have got a 13-point gap to make up. So I can't think dropping out of the Champions League places, really. But I, I, I no longer think that they're guaranteed second. Their, their form in the Serie A has not been... Obviously, the Juventus game was... You know, there was an asterisk because that could have gone either way and that was an unlucky game in many ways. But, um, yeah, there, were, I, there are a few question marks. Like, you know, slowly, slowly, like they're just, you know, Milan are sort of closing the gap. But, um, but yeah, on Milan, you know, unbelievable form at the moment. And, you know, they just keep winning. Um, and, yeah, I just think they're in a perfect place. And I also think that, you know, I think Serie A benefits from a good Milan as well because... I do think that if, 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 obviously Juventus have won the title, but so on to next season, you know, if Napoli were to somehow win the title, the likelihood is their team would be sort of broken apart. Whereas if Milan could do it, they could build on that. You know, they are, they are that kind of, they are that kind of size of a club and, you know, and they have that kind of structure to be able to do that. And I think that, um, not to get carried away, but I, I do think that they are like, things are looking really, really up at the moment. Richard, I, now that I think about it, Andrew, it's a great point. Richard, Napoli, um, the priority is the Europa League now. I mean, if they're going to, if they want to win something, they're not catching Juventus this stage of the season. And, you know, with the, if that's their mentality, is it, maybe it is reasonable to think that Milan can catch Napoli for second. Yeah, absolutely. It's Milan are within reach, and when's the last time you said a team was within reach of the top two teams, right? A um, couple favorable results. If you know Juve or Napoli get a couple more draws, and Milan continue to win, look out, look out now, right? But uh, it'll be you know, it's going to be a difficult balance, which is you know, Ancelotti is very good at balancing stuff like this. Yes, all their all their eggs are in the Europa League basket, and for good reason. They're trying to win a title this year. Uh, cause obviously Scudetto chance is long gone. Uh, so I believe there are, the main focus is going to be that, but they're going to, you know, continue doing what they're doing in Serie A until it gets, you know, within three points or something, something really close. And then, then they're going to, they're going to have to find a, a good balance when I think they can. Um, the games will be a little more spread out and they'll be able to do that. But, um, it's not far fetched to think Milan or maybe if, if Inter ride this win today and, and win the Derby next week that they'll be in momentum to get to catch uh, Napoli as well. So, it's not quite out of the out of the realm of expectations, but hey, anything could happen, in Syria. And and if you look at a Napoli sick, if you finish third or fourth, so what? You're still in the Champions League next year, right? I mean, I, if you if you going for the title, which I know I know Ancelotti is, that's got to be priority one. If if Napoli finish fourth but win the Europa League, do you think they care? I don't think so. No, I think that's a successful season. Yeah, absolutely. So, indeed, it's, indeed. It's certainly better than finishing second and winning nothing. I, I would say. Yes. I would say so anyway. Uh, Andrew, Inter, uh, with Icardi currently out of the picture, have they looked better to you, weaker to you, or about the same? Well, I mean, obviously, you're looking at results, and I mean, today that they, you know, obviously they won, so you think, you know, oh, they, you know, they got the three points, but you know, they, they were not great, and I don't think they've, and I, I don't think that they've really, I think. When, when, the, when the whole Icardi thing first broke, I thought Inter played the hand quite well. You know, Icardi was in terrible form. And for the first time, they kind of, you know, there was potential he could get like, you know, he wasn't scoring. And they kind of felt like obviously in a bit of a strong position to take a, an iron fist. 
But I actually think that in his absence, that's kind of shown how much they do really need him. And I think in many ways, it's, it's gone full circle now and he's back. You know, the cards are in, you know, it's, the ball's in his court now because I think that he, I, I think Inter has shown how much they, they really they really do need him. And I, without him, I just don't see how they beat, um, how they get a three points next week. In fact, I think um, the opposite of the last derby, it's going to have to be Inter who are going to put 10 men behind the ball and just, Hope that they can get a nil-nil draw. That's, I think, I think that's where we're at. Same question for you, Richard. Better, weaker, or about the same? I say they're well. If you had Icardi at top form and and Martinez at top form, who would be better? I think it would be better. But you know, based on what we're seeing right now, I think it's roughly the same. Maybe maybe slightly less for the current Inter squad, but I think the derby is going to be the the true tell. Because the Milan killer, the the big game player in the past, how many games in in the derbies has shown up every single time? That's Mauro Icardi, and he's not there this time. He's been the one guy that Inter's been depending on in these big kind of games, especially the rival games uh, with Milan, to to really kill them and, and put the game out of misery. And he's not there, so you know because of that reason, I'm going to say they're slightly slightly worse off. But they're playing really well, and I and I know. Uh, Martinez is 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 an excellent player and he's going to be special going forward. But I think they don't have that killer poacher instinct that's that was there with with Icardi. I think Martinez could really have done with that goal today. Like I think because yeah. of yeah. Icardi's incredible goal scoring record, that's what Martinez is judged on. Ultimately, that's the way that he's going to have to replace um, Icardi. And you know, look, we know what football's like. If Inter win one 0 with a Martinez goal next week. He's a hero forever, but I just think that he really could do with a goal. Of, you know, he really could have done with that goal today to really kind of boost his confidence. Oh, but before the derby, they've got uh, a certain matter of Eintracht Frankfurt in the way uh, in the Europa League. So, Richard, they, they kept him out in Germany and got a nil-nil draw and took that back to the San Siro, much to, I think, much to both of our surprise. I'm sure Andrews, too. I thought there'd be, yeah. I thought that would be a goal fest. Um, so... Do they get it done on Thursday uh, against Eintracht and uh, qualify for the last eight of the Europa League? I think the result for them last week was, well, certainly a good one because they didn't lose that, right? Um, but I think Eintracht can look at it as we didn't give up an away goal, and that's going to be big. The hard part for for Inter going going forward in this next game is keeping Eintracht out. They did a great job in Germany, but they're going to have to do that in, in Inter as well, and, and, and Eintracht can travel well. It's going to be tough. And, you know, the big, the big players, as we said with Juventus, for Inter, they're going to have to do the same thing. They're going to have to show up. Um, it's, it's certainly possible. I'm not going to say it's dead in the water. They're not going to do it or they are going to do it. It's, it's 50-50 game in my opinion. And it's whoever, whoever, you know, steps up to the limelight is going to win the game. Yeah. And I hate, I hate, the, I hate those kind of, I hate kind of saying like that because typically when I, when I talk like this or Frank talks like this, we're, we're picking a draw, but a draw is not going to happen in this game, right? It's going to go to overtime and then maybe penalty kicks. Uh, it's 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 tough. Um, That's if it's nil nil again. The only way it's going to overtime and penalty kicks is if they go nil nil for another ninety. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, I I can't see them holding out Eintracht for two games in a row. Um, I would love it too because I, I I want these Serie A teams to keep going, progressing, going far. Um, I I think it's you know I think Eintracht's gonna get a goal that they need and it's gonna be something like a one one or something. Um, I was I was gonna say the same thing. I think it's a yeah, score and draw. So Eintracht's so. going through. I was going to say 1-1 as well. I think, I mean, Eintracht were my 
sort of dark horses um, from the sort of knockout stage onwards. Um, I've been very impressed when I've seen them, and I think it was a, one of the hardest draws Inter could have got, really. Uh, and I think they'll do well to 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 knock them out. I think, you know, I think Inter will need to score at least two to go through, and obviously they can do it. I mean, depend it depends how Perisic is feeling, you know, the, 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 like you said, the play, the big, the big players need to stand up. Brozovic will be a big loss. And I do worry that his penalty miss might sort of be a defining moment in this tie as well. But, just, but I think if, you know, I, I do think the winner of this tie will have to be one of the favorites for the whole competition, really. I don't, I, I won't fight that. I definitely won't fight that. Especially when Sevilla is dealing, I mean, Sevilla has to go to Prague now, uh, with a disadvantage because they, they drew 2-2 two, two, and you fancied Sevilla to be one of the favorites in this competition. Yeah. So Arsenal um, going out as well. Arsenal, yeah, Arsenal has a hole to dig out of. So, yeah, some of the guys that you kind of thought were among the favorites uh, have some work to do. But, yeah, um, you know, so that's where we're at an Inter. Sampdoria Atalanta. Um, Andrew, I asked, I, I made this suggestion earlier, but I'll ask you the question. Has, has Marco Giampaolo been found out? I mean – I've always kind of felt that, like under him, they are the most sort of inconsistent, hot and cold team. They they some they can produce some of the you know they were the last team to beat Juventus um, away from home, you know, and that was I know only ended up three three two, but that was effectively a three nil game. Like, but but then at the same time they will lose five nil at home to Inter, and I just think that they are such a hot and cold team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that like he's kind of lost his aura a little bit. Like I felt that he was really the sort of next next big Italian manager for the next sort of big job. But now I, I kind of think he's kind of lost his sort of spark because, you know, they seem to be just falling away again. Like, you know, three weeks ago, they were like a genuine Champions League, um, you know, a top four contender. And now like clinging on to the sort of Europa League. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I would um, I would uh, I would go with that. Yeah, I think he might have been found out. And Richard Atalanta, uh, I mean, we talked, but we're we're talking about them as maybe being more of a serious contender for top four than Roma at this point. You would have to think so, especially with the front three that they have, right? I mean, Ilicic, Gomez, and Zapata are absolutely dealing. Zapata's, you know, he got another goal today. He's up to seventeen now, just three behind Qualiarella. So you gotta you gotta favor a team that has. Uh, informed strikers as Atalanta do and, 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 and Roma do not at the moment. And so um, the one thing that Roma has going for them in terms of Atalanta is Atalanta can't keep a clean sheet. Um, they, they, they do give up goals. They and that's hit. where I think they're going to fall short. Yeah. And that, and that's going to be the thing. And I, as, uh, the question is who going forward is going to be better defensively. Atalanta have yet to prove it to us though. I, I really, really like their offensive, their offensive game. They they know how to score goals. They know how to, they know how to play attractive football. The question is when the game times when it starts getting tight here, can they keep people out? And that's that's the question right now. And it's it, and right now it's fifty fifty. I think if they if they can find a way, they're gonna they're gonna beat Roma at least in the table. Um, but it's a it's a tough call. And and like you said, that's what that's the one thing, the one weak link, the one chink in the armor that Atalanta have. But they do also score a lot of goals, and that's that's the thing, isn't it? So I guess so many goals. That's the thing, isn't it? So it's, I, I totally get, get. I agree with you that they cannot be a clean sheet. But when you know that you have so many goals, you have goals from so many different places on the pitch, and you also have an extremely informed uh, centre forward, then you you can feel confident that you will continue to sort of 
you're always in a, in the game. That's I guess that's what they'll always think. They're, they're always in every game. Like they never get. They, they rarely tend to get just blown apart. You know. I hate to make this kind of comparison, but I'm going to. Uh, if you look at like the NBA and you look at the Golden State Warriors. They don't play defense well at all, but that's because they know they can score at will and score when they want to. And Atalanta, it feels like they're and they're kind of in that mold where they're like, yeah, we'll give them a goal or two, but we know we have confidence we can score three or four. And I think that works to you in a, in a way. It gives you swagger, right? It gives you confidence. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you face a team that finds you finds a way how to how to break you down, then you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fair. that's fair, fair call. Yeah, I agree. All right, Andrew Torino. Uh, Getting the win at Frosinone, having to come from behind, uh, uh, you know, to do so, and fair play to Frosinone because they were the better team in the first half in this game. Um, but uh, you know, Torino found a way. Their striker is all of a sudden figured out how to score goals again. Three goals in the last two games, and here's their next five: Bologna at home, at Fiorentina, home to Sampdoria, at Parma, home to Cagliari, and then the six ones at Genoa. Belotti scoring. The defense has been very, very good this season. Those six games, how legit are they of a threat to be top four? I mean, they're definitely, definitely a threat. I mean, there's no, you know, you can't deny that when they're playing as well as they are at the moment. And um, on uh, Belotti, I mean, I thought he took both of his goals very well. Obviously, he's his second one is the one that people talk talking about, but I quite yeah. liked the confidence behind his his header. You know, it was a really powerful. Um, header right into the bottom corner, like completely unstoppable. And I think that, you know, he, he's really struggled with his confidence recently. I think it's, it's good to sort of see him, you know, sort of own situations like that. Um, and similarly to, um, Atalanta, if he can find form, if he can carry on, if he can carry this on and, you know, always just maintain his sort of goal threat, then literally anything is possible. If you've got a goal scorer, that is, that is the one thing teams need. And like Richard was saying, no, Roma don't really have that at the moment. And that is what, that could be the difference. You know, the, the, two, the two teams, um, and obviously they've got Lazio as well. Um, the two teams directly behind them are level on points with them. Are uh, You know, they have got a goal scorer there who, um, you know, could be the sort of difference. Richard, we talk about the growth of Milan and having to overcome situations and getting three points despite not playing. Well, I mean, this is a Torino team that were behind Frosinone of all teams and came back and won. I mean, it's, it says something about them, especially with what they've got in front of them and with Belotti scoring now. Yeah, they're, uh, while they didn't keep a clean sheet for the first time in like ages, it seems like, uh, they found, they found something within to, to, to fight, to get back into the game, crawl back in, and then, and then not only catch them, but pass them and beat them, right? Uh, it all goes down to Mazzari and the, and, the, and the confidence he's instilled in the Torino squad. Uh, they seem like they they feel like they can compete with anybody now. It seems like they have a strong defense. They're they already had some good uh, scoring going forward, but now they're they're big dog. Their striker Balotti, he's getting goals now. He's got three goals in the last two games, so um, he's really starting to come into form now. And this is just perfect time for Torino to come down the stretch when you need them the most because. This is when, like I said, there's three teams now battling for for the fifth spot, um, a fifth and sixth spot, I guess technically, really, and then Lazio's just behind. So um, you gotta love what Torino is doing at the moment, and now that their big dog is is there scoring, they gotta have confidence no matter who they play if they go down a goal, as they did with Frosinone. Yes, it's Frosinone, but we've seen team, other teams this year going down to Frosinone and lose. Uh, so uh, you gotta give all credit to to the coaching staff for for instilling this kind of confidence in the team, and they're gonna they're gonna be dangerous going down the road here. 
and and at City I sit down, uh, we have been talking about Torino for weeks. Some people are just coming around to them, but we've been talking about them for weeks. And what have we been saying, Richard? Wait till Belotti starts scoring. Yep. And it's a whole new set of problems for everybody that has to play them. And now he's scoring. So, uh, so let's uh, let's see how that plays out. Uh, finally, Lazio uh, out of this batch here, Andrew. Um, with this result, uh, can we start putting dirt on their Champions League hopes? Lazio are the hardest team for me to figure out. I just, I just don't, I don't understand. I mean, last season they were possibly the most exciting team to watch in in all of Europe. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. They were so, you know, it wasn't the beautiful Napoli on the Saturday, but it was just explosive. You know, they would score so many, they would concede so many, and this season they just kind of gone the complete opposite. And there's such a, it's, I find it quite difficult to watch them at times, and. Like, you know, they, they've just, they're just there. Like, they just seem to just be around that without ever kind of doing, you know, they don't really seem to do much. They, they seem to just, you know, fight their way through games, you know, winning 2-1 when they're not playing well. They don't seem to be playing well at all, yet they're still sort of around. And then obviously they, they pull that incredible result out um, against Roma, which, um, you know, obviously highlights the positives. But then again, you know, tonight I thought they were the they were the better team. They controlled the game for for uh, the majority of it, and somehow contrived to, to not win it. Um, you know, one one week I think Inzaghi is the best young Italian manager out there. Then other weeks I think he, he should be under more pressure than he is. I can't quite figure Lazio out at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't know what you guys think. Lowest scoring team in the top ten. That's stunning. When you consider Ciro Immobile was uh, joint capo Canonieri last season, and they're one, I mean, of, that's, they're one of the highest scoring teams last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you and and uh, I mean, they didn't really lose anybody that significant from last season to this season. Luis Alberto was still there. SMS is still there. You know, uh, they they bring in Joaquin Correa, and you're actually kind of encouraged and think, well, I mean, I guess they're they going to do even more, they're going to do even but, more damage. What? They lost to Fry at the back, obviously, which was a big, big loss. But I mean, I, I don't yeah. see how that. Maybe, maybe that. Maybe they, 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 they felt that he was. They've had to kind of compensate for that. But I mean, Echerbi is not a terrible uh, replacement, so I'm, I'm not really sure. I do think the plays that you mentioned, they seem to regress quite yeah, significantly. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Imagine the defense if they had Fry and and Echerbi back there, right? Mm, um, exactly. Yeah. It would be nice to see them with a four-man defense and. You know, while while they didn't, you know, Fiorentina kind of, you know, had a majority of possession in the game, the more quality chances probably came from Lazio. I mean, uh, Lafont had a lot to do in this game. He had some big saves because uh, Lazio were taking advantage of the, of the opportunities they got. And so you got to like Lazio at the moment. I, I agree with you. They're, they're so hard to predict. And Fiorentina is as well. They're, both these teams, really. Yeah. It's only fitting that they both drew each other because they're both similar in respect that we expect so much from both these squads, right? One team is very young but very talented. The other team is just the right age, but they're, they're, they're inconsistent as well. And they have at least Immobile scoring, but you know, SMS and Luis Alberto and all those guys, they're not being consistent enough. I think both these two teams, if they can find some consistency going forward for next year, they're going to be, they're going to be, they're going to be challenging for maybe even a Champions League spot. I think this year, Frank, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're right that it's a little bit too far for Champions League this year. They're what, eight points off the, off the, off the pace right now. They got to think about Europa League at the moment, which is very, very much attainable for them. Um, they didn't have to put some results. They got that. They got that snake off the back winning against the top six team. Now they've got to ride that momentum. 
Um, they, they played a tough team today, Fiorentina, but you know going forward they're gonna have to get some get some favorable results, and I'm talking about wins, and that'll probably help them propel and try to get into Europa League because that's the only way I see it. They continue making these draws, it's not gonna cut it because you got some you got some three teams ahead of you that are playing quite well. Two of them, two to three are playing well. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, Lazio is a, a serious, seriously a curious case. Yeah, indeed, and. Uh... Uh, uh, you know, a, a weird one, uh, a weird one at that for sure. So, uh, but those were the, those are the wrap up as far as the contenders, the five games that involved them. Richard is going to share with us what happened with uh, the rest of the action in Serie A this weekend. All right, so the first game we're going to get to, we're going to get to Parma hosting Genoa. Uh, this game was a cagey affair. You had missed opportunities going both ways, one from Roberto Inglese and Parma, and then the other. They could side, have played this in a. They could have played this in a cage, and no one would have noticed. Really, I mean, Sanabria had quality opportunities at point blank, and he missed. Uh, luckily, there was a goal in this game, and it came in the form of Yurai Kuchka. Uh, it was a, it was a quirky play where he gets a shot off. It hits off the post. Uh, Rigoni takes a chance, but he misses it point blank, and luckily, uh, Kuchka was right there, and he. he Pounds in the back of the net. They win one nothing at home. Uh, moving on to Bologna Cagliari. Uh, Bologna was a host in this one, and they would win two nothing. We had a penalty by Eric Pulgar in the 34th minute, and then a honorable mention for goal of the week, Roberto Soriano in the 77th minute. Uh, Bologna get the win two nothing, and as Frank is saying, they're making their march out of the relegation zone. Uh, and Sinis and Mihalovic, we trust because. Uh, Right now they're playing really well and they're getting they're getting the talented players to actually step up and, and show what they're made about. Um, moving on to Sassuolo hosting Napoli, this uh, this had the makings of an upset for a majority of the match. Uh, Sassuolo was playing very very tough, very stingy against Napoli. Napoli were not uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that they did have. A lot of misses. Uh, that's been the the theme with them as of late is. Lack of goal scoring. And, well, Sassuolo, they would get on the board first. Uh, Domenico Roberardi, he would score in the 52nd minute, uh, give Sassuolo the lead 1-0. And that lead would keep until the 86th minute when Lorenzo Insigne equalized, Frank, equalizer, uh, make it 1-1, and that's how the game would end 1-1. So um, what do we make of, especially this last game, guys, uh, Sassuolo and Napoli? Is is it just a case of Napoli got their all their eggs in one basket and they're – they're not quite got their full attention on Syria, or or is it something else that we got to be a little bit more worried about in terms of lack of goals? Uh, I'll go with you, Andrew. Um, well, I mean, I felt the for me the lineup straight away. I felt you know Milik on the bench. There was an element of one eye on Thursday. Right. Uh, right. But I think I, I think it, it must be difficult for for a manager when you know you you are so far behind first and you're so far ahead of third. And you've got something else to focus on. It's difficult to focus on on, on Serie A when you are in that position. And obviously, unfortunately, I do think you might have taken their eye off the ball a little bit. I think they they they, they are not going to fall out of Champions League places, like I said earlier. But I, you know, I think that they're, they're they're you know on the quiet, they've had some really poor results, not necessarily performances, because the games they have won, Sampdoria, Parma, were impressive. But the other games, you know, they they are liable to drop. Points, you know, Kiev or at home, or you know, they have dropped some some sort of points you wouldn't expect them to drop um, throughout the season. You know, it's it's never been like they've, they've just kind of, you know, they've never really been on like one incredible run. It's always just a bad result here and there dropped in. So I think 
I do think they've taken their eye off the ball a little bit. Frank, of the three games that I just mentioned, which of the games turn your eye the most? Which is the more surprising result to you? Well, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Bologna winning two nil. Um, I watched I watched a chunk of this game. Um, I was probably the only one. Um, <laughs> I just I got up this morning. And I said yeah, the game's on. I'll watch it. Um, you know, I th- th- these players are, are really responding to Mihailovic as I expected once he took over from uh, people in Zagi, um, and uh, and performed accordingly. Now Calgary had some chances here in this game. I think there was a uh, just on the line save that Skudovsky made that we should probably mention in our uh, at least give a mention to when you do the goals of the week video. Richard, go back and look save. at it. That was a great save. Yeah, it's a fantastic save. Um, but. Um, I think that I don't think it necessarily surprises me, but it actually shows, hey, Bologna are going to have some intent, and in the games that they're supposed to get the three points, they're going to be determined to go out and get them, and they're going to make this a thing. I'm not impressed with Empoli defensively. I think that they're weak enough that they could fall into this uh, drop zone, and I'm not impressed with Spall. Um, you know, watched a good bit of this game against Inter, and I think they're trying to hack their way to survival, and for those reasons, I hope that maybe they get the drop for this, and that might offend some Spall fans. Um, but, you know, I'd like to have some quality in Serie A here. And I, when I watch Spall tactically, they're trying to just physically beat the living hell out of the other team with, you know, actually playing football being secondary. So um, Bologna have more quality than both of those teams. So hopefully uh, Sinisa, this is the beginning of Sinisa getting them out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, Sini Simihalovic would will be the difference. I, I like I liked Inzaghi as a player. I wanted him to do well in management. You know, I thought he did brilliant at Venezia, but I, I struggled to watch Bologna under him. I thought it was dreadful. Um, and you know, Mihalovic really has um, changed things. And yeah, I think he could be the difference. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to wrap this up before we're going to wrap this up here with talk of the Derby della Madonnina. It's taking place next Sunday, March seventeenth. It's my birthday, um, so you know it's you know Milan are going to win. They better. <laughs> so, or I'm going to be sad drinking a lot of Irish whiskey at my house. Um, but uh, uh, but we've got uh, Milan v Inter uh, next Sunday. Uh, kind of, I don't. I won't necessarily say it's a total contrast in form. I think Inter are finding a way to get results. They're trying to figure this out without Mauro Icardi. Milan are obviously winning in a lot of different ways. They're winning by being dominant. They're winning by finding ways to win. Um, these last two wins against Sassuolo and Chievo, very evident. Uh, you've got – but uh, form you throw out the window – recent results you throw out the window, all of these things you throw out the window. When you have two teams from the same city, I mean, just go ahead and uh, we we talked about Roma losing to Derby 3-0 to Lazio. We talked about Lazio not beating anybody with a pulse uh, going into that Derby and then just absolutely smacking Roma all over the pitch. Anything can happen here. So, Andrew, how do you see this? Just uh, what are your expectations going in? It's going to be – do you think that Gattuso finally comes out of his – Shell because we had Nima. I had Nima, Nima Tavali and I went back and forth, recapping the last derby several you know a few months ago when it happened, and his criticism, which I agree with, is that it seems like every derby, every derby that uh, Gattuso has managed, he tightens up and he worries about uh, 
you know, being more defensive first instead of trying to establish a, uh, a superiority of possession. Given that guys like Brozovic and Miranda might not be available for this derby, does he change that attitude? Well, I mean, first of all, I think I agree with that point. I think that the, the derbies under Gattuso have been pretty dull affairs, especially when you consider the last derby before him was one of the greatest in in, mem- in recent memory. Um, so I, you know, that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping we get a a brilliant match, uh, but I'm not sure if if that will really sort of change the way he goes about it. I still think I think that if anything, that might just enhance his belief because I don't think he. I truly don't think he's the kind of person who will really care about winning beautifully. I think he just wants to win. And if he sees Inter uh, weaken, he might just strengthen his own uh, tactical, his own style, um, and not really think that, like, oh, I can open up a bit now because I, I don't think that really is his approach to this game. I think I think it will just see more of the same, except... Um, yeah, I just think we'll see more of the same, and I think they'll just be a bit more confident because of it. Richard, uh, Inter right now, I mean, Brozovic is a doubt, and for me, he was the best player on the pitch in the reverse fixture, uh, and a huge, huge reason why Inter won that match. His absence from this team, if he doesn't play, how much of an impact is it Inter? Does, how much does that impact uh, Inter? Um, and if he doesn't play, does that mean Milan are, a, are, are an even bigger favorite in this derby? Well, if he doesn't play, you're missing a world-class player, point, point blank. This guy, is when he's on his game, he is one of the best in the world. We've seen it in the World Cup. We've seen it with, with Inter. We saw it in the last derby, actually. So um, he will be missed if he's not there. But that just means guys like Roberto Gagliardini, Matteo Palitano, guys like that, guys in the midfield, they're going to have to step up and play and, and pick up that void, which is going to be hard. But they can do it. They certainly can. Now, if if Brozovic isn't there, does that give Milan a, an advantage? Slightly, yes, because he's not going to be there to to dog them. But um, I wouldn't say there would be clear favorites at that point. I still think it's a very much a derby, a very much fifty fifty game, despite the form of both teams, um, despite how form has been in the past. Like you said, you throw the you throw form out the door, uh, and when and just let the let the emotions take over. I think the biggest hindrance, biggest missing piece would be Icardi in my in my opinion. It's because again, he he is that 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 killer mentality in these type of games. He's a Milan killer, and he's not there. They're gonna hurt miss him more than 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 Brozovic. Brozovic is a world class player, no doubt about it. But I think they have the talent around that team to to pick up the pieces, if you will. Um, Galliardini is really starting to come into his own as of late. He scored a goal, a nice goal today. So. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a tight affair, and you know, kind of go off of what you were talking about with the tactics. I, I, I really hope Gattuso changes his tactics in this game because it has been dull, like Andrew said, in these derbies, uh, especially from a Milan perspective. And it's really turned down the derby. The derby used to be one of the, the, the games to watch, and excitement-wise, everyone would watch it because it was so exciting. Gattuso needs to look at it like this: Look, you have one of the most stout defenses in Serie A this season. You know, other than maybe Torino, and, and if you want to throw Juventus and Napoli in there as well. You you, have, you should have confidence in that. And now you have an attacking prowess with Piantic and Paqueta coming to the mix. Castillejo is playing really well now. You should have confidence in these players and continue to play the way you play been playing over this last you know couple months. Don't go back and regress and change your tactics. If you get a lead, hey, go for it, whatever. But 
Gattuso needs to come out of his shell, I think, and not. And by coming out of his shell, he's not necessarily going to give up the give up the house, right? Stay stout defensively as you have been. John uh, Luigi Donnarumma has been playing fantastic, as has the back four. Trust in them and continue playing the way you've been playing. I think when you deviate from what's been working, that's when you put yourself in in a, in a dilemma, and we've seen that in the past. Yeah. All right. Another thing on that. Sorry, just to say on the on the tactical front is, I mean, Spalletti isn't going to open up. You know, we know, especially with if Icardi, as you expect, isn't going to play. I mean, you know, Icardi, Spalletti will surely set up uh, defensively to not lose that game. Um, and I just think that there is an opportunity. I mean, like I said, I don't think it was a will take it, but I think there is an opportunity here for Milan to, to really open up and just put on a really good display in, 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 a, in a true, in a big game. It's going to be, it's going to be tight. It's going to be tense. There's a lot on the line. They're both sitting in champions league spots. Neither of them want to lose points, you know, to where the teams behind them are catching them. Um, that said, I don't think there's a lot of goals in this game. Um, I think it's going to be a 1-0, 1-1, maybe even a 2-1 kind of result. I'm going to favor Milan to win it because I think that that absence of Brozovic is huge if he doesn't play. If he plays, it's a different story. Um, but I don't think a combination of Vecino and Gallerini make up for what he contributes to Inter. I think I think Brozovic has been Inter's best player all season. Um Milan, uh, you know, afforded themselves the opportunity to rest some players, too. Uh, you know, Rodriguez rested. Uh, you know, Bakayoko didn't play. Um, you know, some of the changes that were made here against Kievo, so I think that that helps, too. And also the fact that Inter are going to be coming off playing a Europa League game if they care about that competition to turn around and have to play a derby three days later. I think all of this really works out in Milan's favor. I'm not saying this as a homer and as a Milan supporter. I actually think that's legit. So I'm going to go with Milan winning this by a final of 2-1. Um, I think either are going to, Inter are going to find a way to get a goal, uh, but I think it's going to be Milan uh, getting it done here in the derby. So that's my prediction. Andrew, how about yours? Um, I'm, I, I think it's very easy to see this finish in 0-0, but I don't want to say 0-0, and I'm hoping that that won't be the case. Um, so I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for goals. Um, I can't see past Milan. They're in good form. And I think this might be the time when Gattuso really gets some recognition and he gets a, uh, a a good 3-1 win. That's what I can say. Ooh, look at that. I like. I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Richard, how about you? Yeah, I, I I would love to see a 3-1 or even a 4-1 or 6-0 scoreline for Milan, but I don't think that's going to be I think it's going to be a very tight affair. Until Gattuso can show me that he's not going to deviate too much from what he's done in the past, I'm going to... Let me let me pick a score. Uh, I I'm gonna go with a team that has the killer, a player who has killer instincts. Uh, as we said, Icardi's not there for Inter. I I like Piantic's instincts and in goal. He has that poachers and killers mentality. Any any opportunity he gets, he scores. I'm gonna go with uh, Piantic. Piantic scores and Milan win uh, probably two one. I don't think they can keep a clean sheet. I think Inter always score in these derbies. So two one Milan. Okay, so two one to Milan for you. I think two one, and Andrew's going to go and say it's uh, it's a Milan masterclass, and it's their coming of age performance, uh, winning three one. So uh, how do you see the derby going down? Go to at Serie A Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram, and with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Um, 
Andrew, as we do with all of our guests, the floor is yours. Plug away anything that uh, uh, you want to promote to our listeners. Oh, no, just my uh, Twitter handle, ACR Calcio. Um, yeah, you just find all my uninteresting thoughts on there, really. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, I, I got to say, it was a privilege having you on. Thank you for taking the time and uh, ran a little bit over what we wanted to do, but uh, certainly appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. No, let's 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 do this again uh, for sure. Uh, Richard, how about you? Where are we going to find you? You can find me at R underscore Carmen on uh, Instagram or Twitter. You can also find me on YouTube with the videos, either for Syria, sit down or on my own. So, uh, yeah. You can find me all over the place, I, and I'm constantly busy, but that's a, that's a good thing, I guess. Yep, yep, good for you. Um, I'm at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. You can find me there. Uh A Sit-Down's available on iTunes. We have our own channel there. We have our own channel on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us just about anywhere uh, that they play podcasts these days. So uh, um, if people are looking for a good city podcast to listen to, uh, do please uh, uh, refer us to your friends, uh, as we say. Um, again, one more time, I want to I want to thank Andrew Cesare for uh, taking the time to join us and uh, be part of this podcast. Uh, Andrew, again, it was a privilege having you on. And like I said, we need to do this again. Definitely. Yeah, I love it. I can't wait. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you for listening. This has been Serie A Sit Down, a podcast of World Football Index. As always, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.